want to say, we believe in the good news. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. We believe that God has commanded us to make disciples, and we believe in that. We don't, we don't stray away from that. We try not to mission drift for that. So we believe in that. And in making disciples, we believe that God's house is a place for restoring families. And we believe that God put us together in a house of faith, in community, in relationship to see families restored. And we believe that he is so audacious and so magnificent and so big that he can end everyday hunger if we would do these two things first. If we would just be disciples and we would reach people by restoring families, we really believe that the good news is purpose for that. All right, well, let's go to the next one. you to get connected. If you're if you're here for the first time or have been here for a couple of times and you're not yet connected, we want to connect with you. So connect with us after service. Uh, we have a wonderful connection person. She's great. She's amazing. Uh, I love her. I'm so thankful that she is she is our connection person. So she will you'll have a great time connecting with her. Alright Marlon does his next one. We need some people to sign up and volunteer. So we come here, set up every Sunday morning at 9, and we just would love for some people to come and just join us. You know, join us. Uh, so if you want to volunteer, help us unload, help us uh, help us put things in, help everybody around. We got it down to a system, but we can take some, some of us can take a coffee break, you know, so it's all good. So we would need some help. We need some help in the sound area. So if you are interested in joining our setup crew, come on and join us. 9 a.m. And I cannot express this much. Like, life is so much better in groups. Like, I tried living alone. Like, when I used to live alone, I used to live in an apartment by myself. It was like, I'm an extrovert, so it was like brutal for me. <laughs> it was brutal for me not to be around people all the time or get to see people. So I know, for, personally for me, life is so much better in groups. Life is so much better when I'm surrounding people at the table, meeting new people. Life is so much better in groups and walking along with somebody. So we believe in groups here. So our groups are called discovery groups, where we discover Jesus together. If you are interested in joining a group, uh, we'll, we'll start a group anywhere, anytime, so that we can see people how to live. We believe that life is better in groups. All right, Marlon. So coming up, I'm being very, I'm being very non-spontaneous. So coming up. July 14th, I'm not going to be in the house. I'm going to be at the National Youth Gathering in Minneapolis. So we're going to have a guest speaker. His name is Quest Musette. He has been in the city for such a long time. He has been a young life leader. And so for my friends who like young life, he's going to be here preaching. He's going he's to share with you what's going on. And then we're having a summer party in conjunction with the rec center and the school. I know it's a Thursday. So show up Thursday evening. So we're going to have snow cones and food and everything. It's going to be so amazing. And then we're partnering with the rec center for the very first time here. We're having a national night out. So if you know somebody in this neighborhood, we want all our neighbors to come here and get to, get to see each other. And so it's going to be awesome. And then as a church, we're starting what we call core classes. These are like the core, like who we are, what we believe, 
how to get the how to be disciple, what discipleship means to us, how do we how do we get into groups, like what does group mean for us? So August 10th, which is a Saturday, we'll do it once a month. We're starting core classes. And so it'll be a great time to get to know us, get our DNA, get injected with, with what we have going. And so while we can get to that sermon, let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing right now in the midst of everyone that's here, God. I thank you, God, that you continue to share the gospel with us. You continue to, to pour into our hearts. You continue to open up our minds, God. But today, God, we're asking, God, that you would speak something specific to every heart. People come to church for so many reasons, but God, we want to come to glorify you and learn from you this great and mighty teaching about surrender, which is so part of your plan, God. Like, it is one of the major components, I believe, to the plan that Jesus came and gave us is surrender. So, Jesus, I ask you to bless this Holy Spirit. We invite you into this place in our hearts. Would you brood over us right now and allow your spirit to guide and lead us? Amen. So, all right. Surrender. Following God's will and word. It, it takes a lot. To, so when I started thinking about this, started thinking about surrender, I started to think, man, this is a big subject. This is a big thing to surrender to God. It's a big thing that happens. And so our key verse today uh, is going to be in Mark 10, 21. So uh, our big idea, not yet, Marlon, sorry. All right, so when, when I think of surrender, I think of what God did for me. Surrender is personal. When we look at the cross and we look at what Jesus did, and if we believe that Jesus died on the cross and he surrendered his life for us, it's not something, it's something that corporately happened at the whole world to see, but when it comes to us, it was personal. It was something that's personal and real. And when we become in a relationship with Jesus, the surrender that we give to him is personal. We don't surrender to a church, our organization. We surrender to God. We don't surrender to our husband or to our wife or to our kids. We surrender to God. It's deeply personal. It's not something that happens like overnight. It's deeply personal. And I just remember when I think of surrender, I think of the Lord delivering me from drugs and alcohol. Like, I, 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 first of all, I want to tell you, I quietly don't understand how he did it, just to, just to be real. I don't understand the concept of how he did it, but I live with it. So I know it is an experience that I have that I can't deny. So when he delivered me, I, is, 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 I see people go through drug and alcoholism. I see people, and God delivered me from it. Like, remove the desire. Remove the want. Remove, the, remove the, the, the crutch and the cradle that I was using it for. Remove the feelings and the emotions that surround it. He, like, took it away from me. Like, it was something that, that I needed gone, and he removed it. And I just don't understand, like, the whole complexity when people ask me, how did it happen? And all I can respond is Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't know. I gave my life to him, and all of a sudden, he just took this thing from me that didn't belong to him and didn't make me look like him, and he just took it from me. And it's not the same for everyone. It's not that same story. Everybody doesn't understand, like, divine deliverance. Like, it's kind of crazy and, and kooky when you hear about people who are talking about divine deliverance. They're not all, like, the same people. They're not like, oh, they're, we're these straight-laced people who are saying, and we're just practical people, like, when God does some divine deliverance, you're pretty impractical. 
It's a pretty impractical thing. It's something that doesn't really happen. I remember uh, I had evangelism teachers in, in Bible college, and they literally told me that this woman had bad teeth and she started to get gold teeth. Now, th those are the miracles that I quite don't understand. I quite don't understand why is God taking somebody with bad teeth and all of a sudden they're growing gold teeth. I quite don't understand if I believe it. If I saw it, I would believe it. Like, I quite don't, but I believe that I was delivered from alcohol. So I can believe that there's something more that God wants to do in people's lives. And he just doesn't do it so that we can have, like, good lives. He does it for his glory. Like, when people find out that I've been delivered from alcohol, they're like, how did that happen? I was like, I didn't eat AA. I didn't eat any other groups. I just need Jesus. And that was, that was something that people just, it, it's, it's a complexity of surrender that I just don't understand completely. And it's so hard for when you don't understand how things are done and it's just done. For you just to live with that experience and try to share it with everyone. There's a little bit of person, a personal. that Well, it was personal to me. The deliverance of alcohol was personal to me. Uh, I wanted it to happen to every single person. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't. And it wasn't just absolutely for me. It wasn't even about me. It was about him. To show this to everyone that knows me personally, that, hey, he is not the same guy that we knew. He's not the same person. So God actually intervened in his life for real. And now they have a story of an account that that can happen. And I just, I just know uh, when we talk about surrender, I'm just going to say this is our, the big idea. Giving up all our possessions to follow Jesus. Possessions, when we think of possessions, we think of house, boat, car. That's what we think about money. We think about those things. But we don't think about the things that are close to our heart that are keeping us from seeing God. That are keeping us from really diving in. There's things that we have. There's, there's all kind of hurdles and obstacles. Uh, we used to call it the stool. So there's stuff that is sitting in your heart that you lay seats for that God is like, well, that's really my seat. And you gave that seat away. When are you going to give that seat back to me? I gave you that seat. And so there's so many things in our heart that we are letting sit in our heart that don't belong. That God is like, give them, to, give them away. You don't need those things. Give me back my seat. Let me sit on the throne of your heart once again. I've been there before. If I've never been there, allow me to sit there and see what I do. And then that's what the big idea is. Like we're giving away not just wealth. But we're giving away the things that we that we allow to sit in our heart. Martin, we can go to the main point. So giving room for Jesus where we already have things filled where he wants to live. Jesus wants to live in our life. And he wants to be priority. He wants to prioritize our life around him. He wants to be able to show us his grace and his power. But he can't show us his grace and his power if we don't make room for him. Like, I was speaking with a guy and we had an interview, and like, God's grace is so powerful. Like, I just believe this. You know, when you really don't know anything about God, and you can just open up a Bible, and you put your finger on a verse, and all of a sudden it just speaks to your situation and your circumstance, it's just grace. Like, we're not saying this, that's just grace. Like, I just remember, you know, like when you were a kid, and you were trying to figure out where you want to live, and you, you spin the globe. And then you stop there, you're like, oh, I live there in Kerbekistan. 
and you're like, where is that at? <laughs> and then you start to learn about these places. Like, it's just, it's like that. It's like you're pinpointing, but God's grace is so magnificent and so awesome is that when we open up his word and when we start to surrender to give our possessions over to him, his grace is so powerful. And we're going to read some scripture today. We're going to be in Mark 10. Am I right? Yeah, 10. Uh, 17 through 31. This is really powerful to me about this story because it has two parts to the story. As we're going to talk about this parable, there's two parts. There's the person that, that needs to surrender, and then there's this, this implication of the one who's already surrendered and feels like they gave up everything already. And so it's going to be, it's going to be really awesome. So I'm going to start... Uh, Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. No, hold on, go back. Oh, Marla, go to the verses. And he was sitting out on a journey. A man ran up and kneeled before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him. Catch that. He looked at him and he loves him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell that all you have. Get to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. You must be slowing down, right, Marla? Disheartened, and messed up, not getting it, misunderstanding by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And those who confuse the Satan. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Let's keep going. They were exceedingly astonished and said to them, who can be saved? <laughs> and that's the point. Then Jesus looked at them and said, with man is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say, I'm like Peter, I'm the big head. I'm going to ask the questions. Peter's like asking the questions. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses our brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Our key verses in Mark 10.21 there's a lot 
that was there today. Today, I'm just going to try to show you through this parable how Jesus desires us to follow his will and commandments. I want you to really search your heart today. And not think about selling your car, selling your house, but search your heart. What possessions are there that you, uh, that you need to ask God to surrender your life? Surrender happens when Jesus with Jesus and the cross. It just does it's the cross that makes surrender possible. Like surrender is part of this rescue plan. Surrender is like the main component of God's redemptive plan for the world. Like surrender has to happen. He's not just gonna save like you heard the words of disciples. How can people be saved then if they don't surrender? How can anyone be saved? And I like to call a redemption plan the rescue plan. Jesus created this rescue plan for all of us to be saved. As we see what God is saying, let's, let's see where his plan of redemption is for our own personal lives. One day when John Wesley was away from home, someone came and told him that his house was on fire. And he said, your house is burnt down, all the way down to the ground. There's nothing more of your house. Wesley replies, no, it hasn't. Because I don't own a house. And then and then the one I've been living in belongs to the Lord. And if it has burned down, then there's one less responsibility for me to worry about. <laughs> Think about that. Like, my uncle had his house burned down one day. Uh, and you know, you know, he wasn't saved then. He's saved now. But he made this huge list for the insurance guy. They had like fur coats and, and jewelry. And all this stuff, we still laugh about it to this day. Like, you never owned any of that stuff. They said, they don't know. The house burned down, you know? And sometimes, everything in our possession, like, we think about all the things we want to possess in our heart. And Wesley is saying this great, this great thing, like, I'm just a manager of God's resources. I really didn't own the house. I may work hard for it. I may, I may manage it right now. But it's God's house. God gave me the resources for the house. If my house burns down... He's going to take care of me and give me something else to live in. It is not my responsibility to worry over these possessions because it's God's because he gave it to me in the first place. And we are stewards of God's resources. Like if we think about our jobs and the finances that we have and, and the ministries that we want to be a part of, we're just stewards of what God has given us. We try to bless God with our houses that we live in. And it was so amazing as we look at the scripture, as we look at what happens, this young man comes up to Jesus. He runs to him. Like we have times that where people run to us. He runs to Jesus and he flatters him with every flattering word that he can. And he says, Master, you are good. In that time, the title, when you when you said master, that meant rabbi. And he said, in Jesus' day, because it, it implied that Jesus was sinless. It implied that he was complete goodness. And rabbis would never admit that they were sinless and complete goodness because they knew God was greater. And so as this young man comes to him with such amazing, flattering words to Jesus, he said, Master, you're good. He's implying. He's just, he's just, trying, to, he's just trying to do something to say, hey, I can, I can see, I can get saved just like everyone else. It is, he says, do you really know what you're saying when you call me good? Like, is he really seeking God? Is he really ready to surrender everything he has when he says, you're good, master? And it says the man really didn't know. We know why he didn't know. Because as soon as Jesus came to him, he's like, 
sad. As soon as Jesus asked him to follow him, he got sad. As soon as he challenged him with the things he was doing, he really didn't know who he was. He thought his identity was trapped up in his, his possessions and his family. In, Mark, in, other, in other versions, it talks about his, his father and, and waiting for his father to die and all these kind of crazy things. And then all of a sudden, he really didn't know who he was. He really didn't know. He thought that he was righteous. And if Jesus confirmed his righteousness and he was saved, then he was righteous in himself. It was just another plain self-righteous movement. Like, it was just like, I know, I, hey, Jesus, I'm going to surrender just this, but I got, if I don't give up my possessions, it's, it's not really about Jesus. It's about us when we don't want to give things up. When you don't really know who Jesus is, you probably don't know who you are either. And that's such a powerful thing when you're talking about surrender. We have to know who we are. And knowing Jesus comes first. I remember when after I got delivered from drugs and alcohol, like, Knowing Jesus was paramount in my life. I was so mad. Like, I was that person that was mad. So many people told me so many lies about who I was and where I came from and how I should act and how I should be portrayed. And then I fell into this identity of Jesus. And I fell into, like, these new points of leadership, this new heart, this new way of living, this new life. And I was like, why didn't anybody tell me about this before? Why have you been holding this back from me? Why have you been living? Why have you been sharing these lies with me? And all of a sudden, everything started to change in my life. And I started to say the truth of Jesus was way better than what people told me who I was. Now, I know my identity in him. Now, I know who I am in him. So that means I have an opportunity to really surrender to him. It's really hard to surrender to Jesus if you don't know who you are. Because you're trying to fill your life with things. And as he's talking about these commandments, he's saying, I took these commandments, like, these commandments were the five commandments that are about you. You did not kill, distill, you, you broke the honor of your mother and father. You, you, these are commandments about us. These are commandments that we're following. And the Talmud, those are the five commandments that are, about, that are personal. See, this is all about being personal when it's surrender, even as he's talking. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody just followed those five commandments? We won't even get to the rest of the ten. <laughs> the world would be amazing if we all followed those five commandments. But we have this self-righteous thing inside of us that makes us do those things. Like, I remember I was young. I stole a harmonica. I stole it. I cannot say I followed that commandment. I broke it all away. I was in kindergarten. Did I know what I was doing? Maybe. Was I, was I supposed to have that? No, I wasn't. I was a kid, but I stole something. And that already, I broke that commandment. I was never taught these commandments. And so uh, all, 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 all I know right now as we're talking about surrender, we've all broke some of those personal commandments in our life. And we knew this young ruler had broke them. Like he said, I followed them from my youth. Everybody has done something. He didn't really know himself. And the young ruler was still seeking self-righteousness and not the righteousness of God. When, when sometimes when we say, God, what can I do? Or what God, what God, can you do something for me? It puts us in a place where we're always pulling on God for us, for, for ourselves, uh, for our own self-righteousness. And when you start to pray and you find yourself praying only for yourself constantly, 
you start to see your own self-righteousness and what you're asking God. And then if you are never praying for someone else, if you're never asking God to do something different in, in your life or around you, or you're not praying for your neighbors, you understand that your prayer life is pretty self-righteous. It's pretty about you. And he really didn't want Jesus, this guy. He really didn't. He wanted what Jesus had. He said, I'd rather get what you had than be with you. He didn't want Jesus to be his savior. He wanted to be his own savior. And since that was the point, Jesus knew. He said, you're really calling me good? You're flattering me here? You said you followed all these five laws? You really don't know yourself? And all of a sudden you want to be saved? You want to be saved and you don't even know what that means. You don't know what that, what's going to happen if you, if you believed in me being your savior. Your life is going to totally change. Everything in your heart has to be transformed. If you want me to be your savior, if you want me to be your savior, and he went away sad because he wasn't even ready to give up his possessions. There's people who lay down their life for Jesus, and you think you're going to get saved and keep your wealth? <laughs> You think you're going to get saved and keep everything in your life? It doesn't work like that. There's, there's a surrendering of things. And that's what he was saying. There is so much joy in following Jesus. There's so much joy in following him. But we have to surrender. We have to understand what that means. It is the hardest thing ever to surrender. Like I was in a place of like where I could make steps to surrender, like to ask people to give up the way they live, to give up their life. Like when I work with guys who are in drugs and alcohol or living in a trap house, like where are they going to go? What's going to happen? How are they going to surrender all those things? It takes a lot of faith and trust to do those things. And I know like walking into some place or being in a relationship with somebody and say, I'm ready to surrender everything. It's hard. It's one of the hardest things that we can do. But there's joy in following Jesus. And verse 23 through 31, Marlon, if you could just start at 23, deal with things that we hold so close to our hearts. And that is our possessions. Like if Jesus looked around and said, how difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Like I tell people when I talk about wealth, I talk about where do they have room for Jesus? If you already have everything, if you already have everything that you need and you are what, what we used to call back in my hood, like, you're a made man. You're self-made. You don't need the church. You don't need relationships. You're self-made. Everything you got, you work for. Everything you got is yours. There's no room for Jesus to live in. And that's what he's talking about. He says, how difficult is it for somebody to seek, seek righteousness from God when they've already self-righteous? Like, I have a brother. I love him. He's self-righteous. He's a made man. He lives that lifestyle. Like, he, he wants to help people. He talks about wealth and building wealth is what he wants. He, his desire in his life is to be a millionaire. He doesn't care about whatever happens with anybody else. That's his desire. That's not a wrong desire. But there's things in his heart that he hasn't surrendered. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't think Jesus can change his life or his heart. He says, I'm a self-made man. I can do this myself. I don't need some, some deity to do it for me. I don't need some deity to enter my life and talk about that. And that's self-righteousness. And we see that in people's lives. And Jesus is saying, it is difficult. It is a difficult journey. 
if you're living like that and you've made those transitions in your life to enter the kingdom of God. Not saying that it can't happen. And uh, it says that in a few verses uh, bring controversy because of the culture of obtaining wealth or self-righteousness. Like we have that culture today. The culture hasn't changed. We want to obtain wealth. Some of us do. Like, like we hate being poor. Like we know we know what poverty feels like, but we know that we want to we want to obtain wealth. Like I used to be that guy on every every get rich quick scheme. Like I was a schemer, you know. So I could point out schemers in, in the city all the time. Like when me and Melanie first got married, she says you don't trust nobody. I said I know, cause I was that person. <laughs> Always scheming and planning over people. I know what it means. I know what it looks like. And so I know what my self-righteousness was, was doing. Like, it was, about, it was about gaining so much and not giving anything or not giving up anything or giving into anything. And then we have this culture. We do want to be self-made men. We want to make Jesus often a righteousness that can only be attained by following him. I think that's so important for us to understand as we're Surrendering to God, there is nothing that we can do that can attain the righteousness of God without Jesus. We need Jesus to obtain this righteousness. And God can save those who are wealthy. Just know that. God can save those who are wealthy. And then I love this as disciples of Jesus. I love Peter so much. I see myself in Peter so much in verses 28 through 31. He has a response to surrender from Peter. Like we think about this. In the final account, it's, it's, think about this. You have this disciple. Uh, Peter is a hothead, jumping off every single time. Jesus is constantly telling him, rebuking him, training him, giving him hard love. Peter's like says this thing. And I think we all say this to Jesus. I, I think I said it this week to him. Jesus. Give you my whole life. Where's my reward? What's happening here? I've laid down everything, Jesus. We left everything for you. We left everything. We left everything, Jesus. And you're telling us that it's going to be hard for a wealthy person to get to heaven? Like, we left everything. We left everything, Jesus. We dropped our nets to follow you. And look at this young rich ruler. He can't even make it. Like, we left everything. Like, Peter is like, I think it's just a word. Peter began to say this. Like Peter is saying, we left everything. We left the promise of, of our neighborhoods and our cities. We left the things we left. We are full of persecution. And then all of a sudden, I'm confused, Jesus, on what this surrender thing is. I'm confused on what this life is. He says, we have left everything and followed you. I don't think it was in the context of like, oh, we're confirmed in what we're doing. He's even more confused. <laughs> about what we're doing. And Jesus changes it. He speaks to it. And he tells them, he says that you will, you will get a reward. You will get a reward, Peter. And even if you feel like this is not working, Peter, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be rewarded a hundredfold. And I think sometimes when we think about following Jesus, we try to possess the reward first. And that's why Jesus says in the end of this, he says the first will be last and the last will be first. Because there's something about somebody who gives their all first and who gives their all last. 
who surrenders last and who surrenders first. There's something that happens in the kingdom of God when that happens in a redemptive plan. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. In the final account, it shall be found that no man has been loser through giving up anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has his own method of deciding who we are to be first and who we are to be last. And I got one more story. I'm not a mom. Uh, but I'm going to just tell you the story. I, I, I've seen this happen. When a mother gives birth, her body is constructed to, to make milk. The milk flows in tandem with the woman's pregnancy. So as a woman is pregnant, she is going through the birthing process, milk is being produced. The body knows it's time for milk because a baby is here and needs to eat. That first time Keegan cried, it was like pandemonium. And then and the mother doesn't have to grunt or groan or, or worry about if the milk's going to produce. It's already built into the structure of her body. And so when life comes forth, milk flows. The will of God flows. When the surrender is made, it is constructed in the redemptive plan of God, just like our bodies, that it must flow. So if we say that we're going to be we're going to be saved, if we say we're saved, surrendering possessions that are deep in our heart is what God wants to do. What things do you have in your life right now that's stopping the flow of God? That's what it's about. What is stopping from you following the wills and commandments of Jesus right now? And as we get into communion, I'm going to pray as Bethany will come up. And as you're thinking about that, think about what is happening in your life. What has happened in your life? What has continued to happen? What has continued to stop the flow of God? If you're like me, you dream of reaching the nations and reaching people, but there's just stuff in the way. What have you not surrendered to God to stop the flow of God? So as we take communion, we do communion every Sunday. We believe that the body is broken for us, that Jesus died on the cross, and that as we take this communion, we are remembering who he is. And then the second thing is we know his blood, his cup is a redemption. Jesus had compassion in the garden of Gethsemane. He knew if he didn't do it, no one else would. There was no one else built or structured or called to die for all of our sins. And Jesus said, this cup is a cup of redemption. And so today, if you believe in Jesus totally in your heart and you know you want to surrender to every moment, Go ahead and partake in communion. But if you don't and you're not sure about who Jesus is and you want to know more, you want to, you, want to, you want to see what we have to say about Jesus, then just hold off for a moment. Just hold off. Father, you gave us this, this cup to remember you, Jesus. And Jesus, I remember how personal your cross is. Some people, it was a, it's an event. To me, it was a start of something I didn't see. It was a start of deliverance. It was a start of changing my heart and my life. It was a start of a love relationship I didn't know I could have. It was a start of being personal and close with a God I didn't know that existed. And Jesus, we thank you for that. 
we ask you today, would you change our heart to surrender to you, Jesus? Would you change this moment right now? As you partake in the, in the cup, we just ask right now that, that you will find that thing in your heart that you want to surrender. And after you finish communion, Bethany's going to sing a song, and we ask that you would just look at the words and, and start to join with us. Because we believe that surrender is the component that we need as disciples and, and as people and as people that believe in God to change everything in our life. In Jesus' name.